Hey, my name is Akash Dakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Rich Vreeland, also known as Disasterpiece. Disasterpiece is an award-winning video game and film composer and audio artist who's worked on video games like Fez, Hyperlight Drifter, Mini Metro, and tons of others, and has also worked on films like It Follows, Triple Frontier, and Under the Silver Lake. At this point, Disasterpiece has released over 50 albums and is always pushing what music should sound like, what it should feel like, how people will experience it, and even how it's made. In this episode, we go into his creative process, how he thinks about making music, art, and creation in the first place, and what's next in his career, while also talking about what his criteria are when it comes to working with clients. So without further ado, let's get into this episode with Disasterpiece. One of my favorite things about you is your integrity with yourself and saying no to good things. Like you're able to say no to good projects Whereas most people in music, sound, any sort of art are so desperate to get absolutely everything they possibly can, even if they're already in a good space. And I'm curious what your criteria for that is, if there is any, or if it's just a gut feeling. Um, so the criteria are always shifting with me because I'm always shifting. You know, when I first was starting to do projects, I didn't have a lot going on and and I I needed a lot of experience. And so I was down and ready to do pretty much anything. And so I was saying yes to pretty much everything. And then over time, it started to dawn on me that I started to have more opportunities. And there were more things that I could say no to, I could be more selective about actually working on cool things. And then at some point, it actually got to the point where I realized that I had to start saying no to cool things, because there were just too many things coming my way. I mean, it's it's a privilege to, to have that many things coming your way, but it's still a problem. And people handle it in different ways. There are people who go sort of the more kind of organizational route where they decide that they're going to do everything they can to accommodate all of these requests. And so they like build up this massive infrastructure, hire a bunch of people. They start like outsourcing the creative work on top of the logistical work. And they turn into like a Hans Zimmer's like, remote control or something like that. And I knew pretty early on that that's not what I wanted to do. And I kind of felt I would feel like I was drowning in the complexity of all of that. And uh, I started to realize that there was a sort of an, an emotional element to the work that I was doing. And I needed to protect that so that I wasn't uh, getting in too deep and uh, becoming a unhealthy, sad panda. <laughs> and I'm curious then about speaking of an unhealthy sad pattern thing like you said no to you know stranger things and death straining to ultra high profile projects when you see the billboards of those and the commercials and all that stuff after the fact does that hit you in any way or do you not even care at that point it's definitely getting easier I would say death stranding was probably the first really big thing that I said no to and 
that was so big that it would just appear constantly. I'd be driving down the street and there'd be billboards. Um, you know, there's a com commercial during the Super Bowl. Everybody would be talking about it. And, and a lot of people would be like talking at me being like, hey, like, you know, this reminds me of you or why didn't they have you work on this or whatever. <laughs> and all of that was very strange. And uh, it definitely kind of toyed with my emotions a little bit. But with time passing, it's become more and more clear to me that, you know, I made the right choices for myself um, at those times. And I think just because of the high profile nature of those opportunities, it, it, it made those choices harder. Uh, they, they were not necessarily easy choices. But, you know, in both cases, I would have had to uproot my life in, a, in a, some one way or another to actually do them. And I wasn't really prepared to do that, among other reasons why I said no. Yeah, it seems like it's worth paying the price to just have peace, like some degree of like, okay, I don't have to work on this thing. I, have to, I don't have to uproot my life. In the case of a TV show, I don't have to bust my butt for like constantly writing music nonstop for their insanely short deadlines. Is that part of it too? Of like, I want my life to stay together. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I've kind of over time carefully tried to tailor my life around my personality uh, so that I'm operating at a good level and not miserable. And uh, good. So I was always hesitant to enter like the, the space of television because of everything that I heard about it and the workload and, and my sensitivity to, to workload and to everything that goes into that and sort of the complexity of working in a Hollywood type space and the politics and the, the abstraction of relationships like you don't always know where things are coming from. And then also I was concerned about being pigeonholed because that was right after It Follows, the first movie I'd ever scored and the only horror thing pretty much I've ever done. You know, those those all kind of played into it. And for Death Stranding, it was actually it was like a totally different set of concerns. Some similar, but mostly they were like completely different. <laughs> yeah, I guess each one would bring up different concerns no matter what. But like speaking of having that kind of peace and not needing to uproot your life. I remember, and you've kind of had this for a long time, and it's something that I love, is when we were in college, I don't even know if you remember this, uh, there was a time where you and I were eating Thai food, as we did, at that place near Berkeley <laughs> that I can't uh -huh. remember the name of. And you and I were talking about how you briefly, or maybe you still are, got into like bird watching or something related to birds. You had some app on your phone <laughs> related to like bird watching or like bird calls, something like that. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. And I remember asking because, you know, we were we were both students. You're a couple years ahead of me. I remember asking like, how do you have the time for that? And your answer was so good. I still think about this regularly where you just said like, I make time. It was just so simple and so, so good. Like you make time <laughs> for the things that you that you care about. I'm curious, is that something that you still think about today? Is that something you like think about your day to day? Are you thinking about, OK, how far can I push myself while still making it so I have time for myself, still have peace, still feel emotionally good? Yeah. Are you thinking about that regularly with projects? Does that come up? Is that something you ever consider nowadays? I think uh, at this stage, I'm not as concerned with like the idea of pushing myself so much because I've I've pushed myself to the absolute brink where if I had gone any further, I probably would have died. And so I, I have a pretty good like sense of the gamut as far as like what I'm capable of. And so at this stage, I'm more interested in just making the most of my time uh, as opposed to like hyper maximalizing every, you know, split second of that time. I find that 
my tendencies, if I go down that route, are to try to cram more and more things into that time window as I get more efficient at what I'm doing. And so my kind of like more removed viewpoint of myself was to say like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to go against that grain and allow myself to just kind of work at a normal pace and just make sure that I'm not wasting time. As long as I'm not wasting time, like spending, you know, a couple hours watching stupid YouTube videos or something. (laughs) like I just need to be on top of my time and make sure that it's I'm doing good things like whether it's work related or whether it's for my health or you know spending time with friends and family you know all of that to me is like pretty much where I want to be and what I want to be doing yeah so long as it's intentional yeah yeah I mean and like I would say that going back to like the college kind of example I think that sort of line of thinking it didn't always make me the best student because my personal interests and things that I wanted to do didn't always line up with like what was expected of me in classes. So that was like one of the weird things about my education is that I I got a lot out of my education going to Berkeley, but also I felt like completely turned off and detached from the very like hyper competitive environment. And uh, when I was younger, I was like a pretty good student, like an A plus type student. But like, as I got older, my grades kind of went down because I cared less and less about it. And I cared more about like specific things. Like there might be like some application of the something I learned that I'd be really interested in versus like the actual thing that I'm being taught. And for me, you know, being in an electronic music department, I I had almost no like uh, interest in electronic music before that. Like all my favorite music was like rock and like metal and like bands and video game music. So I was like a total weirdo outlier in that space. But it was it was still like a really awesome experience for a lot of reasons. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, you just kind of knew, okay, I know I'm going to use XYZ. So I'm just going to like apply this. I'm going to learn how to apply this. Maybe these other things in class aren't going to necessarily be as applicable. So I'm not necessarily going to try and get an A on this because eh, what's it matter to me, right? It's like, what? what's the point? Yeah. And that makes sense. At some point, you maybe just realize like, oh, grades don't really matter that much if you're not trying to like go from point A to point B. Right. Like, especially in music or something creative, like no one really cares if you have a degree or not. All they care about is, are you any good? <laughs> you're telling me your clients don't ask to see your transcripts or your grades or your diploma ever. Weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always have to su- submit a resume after I get hired. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just to prove oh, yes, my accreditation. <laughs> right. Yeah, it barely matters at all. It doesn't matter even for for most circumstances for anything artistic. So yeah, that's that's funny. But I'm curious then, like when you were in Berkeley, that's a great kind of starting point. What kind of beliefs did you have about starting a music career? Because you came from graphic design, you came to Berkeley loving metal and video game music and funk and stuff and bands yeah what kind of beliefs did you have did you think like okay i'm gonna be a performer or what was in your head before even going into video games yeah i think you're making an astute observation which is that i had no idea what i was doing uh (laughs) i was going down this path of graphic design and all i knew is that i really liked to make music and it was fun uh and i was really excited about it i would make stuff and i would like it and I would share it, show it to people and they would like it. And I was like, oh, there's something going on here. This is cool. So I decided to drop out of college and apply to one music school, the most prestigious music school in the world. And I, you know, I wasn't like some hyped up child prodigy or anything like I, you know, couldn't even sight read, 
you know, I could play like make a maybe play of blues, maybe. I, I think I got in on having albums. I had a couple of albums of music that I'd already made. It was all like chiptune, prog rock, kind of weirdo stuff. And that, I mean, that must be, that must be how I got into the school. But I, I didn't know that I could make a living writing music. Like it seemed ridiculous to me that that was a possibility. So I didn't, it wasn't even in my mind until, well, I will say first that what I initially imagined was that I could work at like a recording studio or something like that. I figured, oh, maybe I'll like, be like a studio hand and then you know maybe i'll learn how to mix or i was thinking very utilitarian about it like because i just didn't know anybody who was like a musician for a living and everything i heard about it was like oh yeah it's probably not gonna work out so it was only when i got the opportunity to write music for cell phone games as like a 19 or 20 year old that i was like hey this is pretty cool i got paid i got to write a bunch of music it's not like graphic design or visual art where every person and their like mother has an opinion about what you're doing. It's like almost impossible to avoid the too many cooks in the kitchen problem with visual design work because everybody has a visual design opinion. And, and most people are just kind of bewildered by sound. They don't know. They're like, I don't know what's going on. This is like black magic. They either like it or they don't. So, you know, there was a little bit more flexibility, too, on, the, on that side of things, which I, I found appealing having done a bunch of freelance graphic design at that point. I was like, oh, this is kind of like a step up. It's a little a little more chill. So it was sort of very serendipitous series of events that that led me. I mean, I didn't even tell the story of how I started actually doing music for games. It was like very random. But then I just started doing a bunch of different things and they all kind of like eventually converged, you know, b- between doing like live shows and releasing my own music and going to game developers conference on student student loan money and and meeting some really important people there who brought me on to to do projects or I was doing this thing when I was a teenager called e-wrestling which is like competitive fan fiction wrestling and it was mostly on message boards and I was also posting music there and I was posting like midi files because that was the technology that I had on my computer I had like a guitar tab editor and so I would post MIDI files on this forum to, and people would be like, oh, cool. And so uh, at some point, like someone who was into e-wrestling was like the CTO of like a company that made cell phone software and they made games. So this other person like connected us. He's like, hey, look at this wanted ad. And he's like, you should contact them. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. So I did. And then I didn't hear anything for like months, like four or five months. And then they got they got in touch with me and I ended up writing a couple of games worth of like MIDI file music and general MIDI sound effects, which is a very niche, <laughs> a very niche category of, of music, uh, Roland MT32 type type stuff. There's a cool through line to all of that, because like you said, it was super serendipitous. Some of it was, it was all of it. It sounds like was completely unpredictable. You weren't going to an e-wrestling forum saying like, here's how I'm going to get my start. Like, of course not. There's no way. <laughs> But you were still out there sharing and talking to people. Yes. And, and I was freelancing. Everything. And you were freelancing. I was freelancing in the e-wrestling community. Like when I was like 13, 14 years old, like I was making logos for people. I was making websites. I was making entrance themes, which I, I would just like take pieces of music and I would take like the instrumental part and I would just like loop it. <laughs> so I had like a two track like sound editor and I was making like looping music, looping tracks. And I was getting like, you know, 20 bucks. 10 bucks. And, um, you know, I was getting checks in the mail from like random places when I was like 13 or 14 years old. My mom's like, you got a check. It's from Malta. 
you got a letter from Malta. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing in your room all day? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely helped me. I, I've always been very independent about doing that kind of stuff. And so that, that definitely helped, I think. Yeah, it kind of put into your brain that like, oh, look, I can actually do a thing and there's a result from it. Yeah. As opposed to just putting things out into the void and not seeing anything as a result of it. I think just from an early age, I was fascinated by the internet and just found it so amazing and empowering that you could just talk to people all over all over the world and you could connect with people who were interested in the same things that you were, especially when the people within your immediate sphere like had no idea about it or didn't care about it. So, I mean, a lot of my success, I, I, I would certainly attribute a decent chunk of that to just like using the internet in different ways. Yeah. And I think nowadays there's literally a trillion new ways, right? It's not forums, it's discords, it's slacks, it's, yeah, God forbid, a Facebook group, anything like that. <laughs> but it, I think there's something to be said about you talking to humans and sharing stuff. There's so much to just those two things that get a lot of traction for people. Yeah. But it's scary for a lot of people too. Like when I was going to Berkeley, the very idea of talking to someone was terrifying. <laughs> like even talking to you, I was like, like we didn't know each other. I was like, I am scared of just every human, including you. I remember <laughs> when we went to Berkeley, you wouldn't let me listen to your music. <laughs> yeah, I was fucking terrified of everything and everyone. Absolutely. Yes, 100%. Uh, but yeah, it's like, it's, it's a thing to grow out of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think just putting yourself out there is really the most important thing that you could possibly do if you're trying to make a career doing something, especially something like this. Yeah, where you're trying to be kind of your own boss and, you know, building a identity or awareness or whatever you want to call it, like the book starts and ends with you, like you got to actually make it happen. You got to get out there and you got to talk to people, you got to go to things. You got to share what you're doing. Like, it's not just going to come. Is that what you tell people who email you and ask how they can get started? Because I'm sure you get people asking like, oh, I want to do games just like you or I want to work on projects just like you did. How do I start? I've said different things at different times and I never really know quite what to say because sometimes people are like, hey, how do I how do I music? How do I music? <laughs> right. And I'm like, well, if you're asking me how how to do music, like I'm not sure you're going to be able to do it because I feel like there's a genuine curiosity if you're interested in something like and you're going to have some sort of success at it, you have to be willing to like be shitty at it and like try <laughs> for a long time. And if you're like, I'm too scared to even try, like I have to ask somebody first. It's pretty it's not a good place to start. So I don't know. I try to tell people just keep trying like on the music side, like if it's like a skill thing, like just keep doing it and just accept that you might suck at it until you don't. I mean, you got to you got to do it. You got to practice. You got to try. I mean, if it was like a you know, here's 10 steps to do it. And then you just do it, then everybody would be amazing at music. Uh, <laughs> and there'd be no work for anybody. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah, I mean, at different times, I've said that or other times I've tried to be if someone's more specific with me, I'll try to give them, you know, some more contextual kind of answers. I definitely talk about like, showing up and kind of the I think it was, uh, was it Yogi Bear or something? 90% of life is showing up. I think that was Woody was Allen. Was it Woody Allen? Oh, I believe. Okay. Yeah, it could be wrong. But yeah, 80% of success is showing up something. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's so true. You have to be there. You have to you have to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to take some risks within, you know, within reason, obviously. And that's kind of up to you to figure out. You have to let the world know what you're about and what you're trying to do so that you can interface with the world. And, you know, hopefully you'll meet the right people to help you along your way because nobody does anything on their own really 
you know, we all need help to get where we're going and people want to help each other. So you just have to put it out there that, that, you know, you're trying to do something and that's the first step. Yeah, it's true. Like it's the sort of thing where a lot of musicians, artists of any sort will like to think that they can hole up in their bedroom, make something, and then hopefully people notice, but it's not even remotely the case, even if it's good, it's not guaranteed to hit unless people know you exist. Yeah. I like thinking of it as if like if I was Tony Hawk and went to a closet and did a sweet 360 Christ air and nobody <laughs> saw it, then what's it matter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no closet Christ airs are going to. No, yeah. It's, it's tricky, too, because I think the landscape now is different than it was when I was at the age that most people who contact me are, which is like early 20s almost 15 years ago. I mean, it's a very different landscape now. And there's a lot more things vying for people's attention now than even 15 years ago. And so it's just it's tricky to navigate. And I don't always have the answers to that, especially not specific ones. But I know like just generally that you need people. Yeah. You got to put yourself out there. Yeah. So from like a kind of a more soft skills point of view, then what is it that you personally have studied, looked into for like personal development stuff or what's kind of kept you going, what keeps you going, what sorts of stuff interests you in that kind of realm? Mm. Can you rephrase that? I'm lost. Yeah, totally. Know, yeah. yeah. So, OK, so let's talk about then staying in a sustainable music career, because it's really easy in this field to burn out and feel like garbage and do a lot of projects like you've pushed yourself to the brink. So yeah, and you've come back, you're still doing stuff. So that's great. Uh What sorts of skills or mindsets or resources, books, anything like that, have you found that kept your career sustainable? Yeah, I mean, I would say the most important thing for me has been spending a lot of time alone, and doing nothing, just reflecting and thinking, and, you know, meditating and just trying to cultivate like a a self-awareness that's helped me a lot with career stuff. It's also helped me with, you know, relationship stuff, just everything. If you take the time to like, kind of examine what's going on, puts you in a position to, to have more agency over your choices in your life. And that's really been really important for me. I mean, I've tried a lot of different, like more specific things at different times. I've, I've done like therapy. There was a time where I was going to therapy and I was almost only talking about work. (laughs) and you know it was interesting but it got to the point where it's like I I feel like I'm trying to make minimal tweaks like I've I've tried every minimal kind of tweak that I could think of to like make things better work-wise and it just wasn't enough so it had to be a more pivotal shift and I think it was the realization that actually I read this book that my dad recommended and it was called Falling Upward by Richard Rohr who is a he's like a Jesuit monk or something. It's a really cool book. Basically, it posits that you can think of life in like these two halves, where the first half of your life, you're kind of like figuring out who you are, what what you can do, like how you're going to root yourself in the world, what you're going to work on, all that kind of stuff, developing your identity, all this, etc. And then at some point, you kind of have taken that as far as you can go. And it's no longer like the returns are diminishing, and you're no longer motivated to continue down this path of like, I want to be the best and, you know, ambition and just just all that kind of stuff. And you start to realize that, like, your time is over, kind of. And you're you're starting to, like, reach the crest. And you, you have to start thinking about, like, the rest of your life and, like, kind of your mortality, honestly. And, like, how, how am I going to make the most of the time that I have left? And I think it, it's a lot about, like, w- at what time do you kind of stop being super, super selfish about what you're doing and and start to try to find a way to like integrate more with 
like community and other people and like giving back and being of service, basically taking all the things you did in the first half of your life and like all that knowledge and sharing it and then reintegrating like who you were as a kid, basically like some of the really fundamental elements of your personality that can get lost when you're trying to like be a, a particular kind of person. And so, you know, that really kind of hit me really strongly. I read it a couple of years ago and then I read it again, like last year, and it really, really resonated for me. Um, and I read some other books too that my dad had, had recommended um, because he had, I guess, gone through something similar at one point about like vocation and all these different things. And um, it's sort of like, I kind of developed this analogy for it. It made me think a lot of professional athletes and how professional athlete has this small window where they're operating at this super high level. It's an unsustainable level, right? Like Michael Jordan could not, I, I'm not trying to compare myself to Michael Jordan, but, but I, I do think people who, who work on stuff, it's, a good, it's good to think of it this way. If you're like kind of in the trenches and you're doing like really high intensity work, obviously for people like us, it's, it's mostly mental, like it's high intensity, like creative type work. That's kind of like, there's like a point where you can do that really at a really, really high level. And then at some point, it's, it's going to wear thin on you. Like you're like, okay, I've like accomplished a lot of the things I set out for. And I think what happens is a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you get to a certain point in your career and maybe you've actually accomplished a lot of the things that you set out to do. And, but yet you keep like spinning your tires and doing the same shit over and over again. Like I've been doing this for 15 years and I don't need to do the same stuff continuously. Like I can do other things now if I want to. And so that was kind of the realization. It was like, oh, I don't really have the same drive to like do these like really intense 16 month soundtrack projects and stuff like I, I have all this personal like hobby and other creative interests that I haven't really given myself a chance to get into because I've been so focused on doing commissions. And yeah, there was this, this kind of realization that like, I still have a lot more that I want to do. And it just, it's going to be more personal. And it's going to be less being a, a conduit for other people's ideas. I'll still probably do that in here and there, but I, I feel that I'll be doing a lot less of that because I, I've been getting a lot of satisfaction out of being able to self-direct. And I have a lot of things that I'm planning, like just personal creative projects and stuff. And I think all of that is going to integrate into this idea of like moving into the second half of my life and, and finding ways to give back in more tangible ways. I think writing music certainly you know, has, has a big, can have a big impact for people. But uh, there's a lot of other things that I've done and that are bouncing around up there that I feel like I need to get out. So that's the that's the plan. Are you open to talking about any of the personal stuff, any of what's motivating you? What's your what you're focusing on right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a you can see a little bit of it back there. I have like a big whiteboard and it's just like a bunch of different projects and things. Only the things that are really important to me are the things that I, I, I either are areas that I'm like actively and going to continually be working in. Or they might be more ephemeral, which case I'll, I'll give it like a little balloon ribbon and then I'll be like, okay, pop that, you know, <laughs> so I can remove it from the, from the whiteboard. And increasingly, it's more stuff about my career. It's more like self-directed creative projects. So I recently in like a newsletter, I kind of announced that I'm putting together this umbrella for um, all of my creative software projects called D-Lab or Disaster Lab. From over the years, I've done all these different kinds of music software designs that are like in they're they're in sort of usable but not super accessible formats like Logic Pro X Scripter API or like quickly thrown together 
you know, DSP experiments or whatever. And so I have all these things that I want to like give them the appropriate um, amount of love uh, and then uh, release them out into the world. And, and I'm kind of like actively talking to different people and, and, and looking for, you know, people that it would be interesting to, to work with some of these projects on. And it's not just music too. There's also like, some of it is more like educational oriented. Like I'm trying to build some stuff in that, in that realm. And also then some just stupid one-off stuff. Like uh, I think I, I showed you, I have a, I'm building a, a stupid, a very stupid name generator <laughs> just for fun. And I'm also like, I have a bunch of backlog of music that I'm like, putting together first because I haven't released much music the last couple of years. So um, I have a lot of stuff that I need to get out there too. So considering that's so many different things and so much stuff, how do you kind of guide yourself to choose day to day what you even work on or what week to week or month to month? Is it all intuition or is there something else? Oh, I'm going to write a book too. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so it is a lot. Yeah. It's, it's like years out, you know, it's, it's not something I'm going to do overnight. It's, but it's, it's years of work that I was like, oh, there, there's all the stuff that I haven't done that I would very much like to do because I feel like a lot of people don't really document what they do. And some of it's going to be hard to document at this point because it's been gone for so long. But I, I did do a decent amount of like note taking and stuff. And I want to I want to share those experiences because I think they're they're valuable as far as like picking what to do. It's sort of intuitive. I have like a general idea of how I want to go about it. And, and some of it has to do with how much external obligation I have. I'm in a stage now where I have the least amount of external obligation that I've had my entire career, um, which is super amazing. Uh, I don't have any like three year projects looming or anything like that, which is really, really nice feeling. But I still have some external obligations. And some of them, I'm basically the, the audio lead for Dinosaur Polo Club, who made Mini Metro and Mini Motorways. So that's an ongoing responsibility that I have. But uh, outside of that, you know, it's just a couple of projects that I'm wrapping up. I'm wrapping up a feature film that's coming out probably end of this year. We're wrapping up Solar Ash with Heart Machine. And my role in that project has been kind of, um, it's not full time at this point. So it's kind of like, what can I chew on for like a week right now? And also low hanging fruit that are still like good things that are personal that I could get out there as like a to get the momentum going a little bit. So right now I'm actually working, I have a bunch of contact scripts, which is like not necessarily the area where I'm like super interested in being, but I made these things. And so I, I want to finish them and share it and, you know, put them out there. So I've been kind of like preparing to, to release some, uh, some fun contact script stuff right now. Nice. So you're, you're doing a lot, which is great. And now I'm curious, related or unrelated, what are you focused on learning right now? Like what kinds of things are you interested in just diving into it could be career related or not yeah i think for me i'm a, a cyclical learner so i don't feel that you have to learn stuff every day necessarily like at least not intentionally i find that i will go through phases for sure where i'm like really really doing a lot of inputs and uh doing a lot of note taking and that's great but then like if i'm if i'm working on something that's like technical i'm not gonna read probably as much or it's like occupying some of the same brain waves or something. But I will say that the last like six months or so, maybe I've been, um, it's hard. <laughs> I'm a little bit all over the place. Great. But uh, I got into note taking and like second brain style note taking. And I, I uh, we talked about this a little you bit. You got me into it. I'm way into it now. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of stumbled across this thing online. And I was like, this is so cool. Basically, this idea that um, you can offload your brain 
a little bit uh, into like your own personal wiki, more or less. And so um, I've been doing a lot of note taking. And there are all these different like paradigms for doing note taking that are interesting. There's one called Zettelkasten, which is like kind of an old school one that uh, uh, a lot of people like and have made variations of. And I'm kind of doing a variation of that. But I'm also kind of thinking about my second brain as like a choose your own adventure book where all my pages are like connected with stupid little geographical descriptions. Like there's a small man who opens a trap door and leads you down to talk about uh, outstanding accounts or something. <laughs> I mean, it's there's some like practical stuff in there, just like, oh, you know, money, business kind of stuff that I have to keep track of. But then there's also like ideas and thinking. And it's just a fun thing to interact with and stumble onto ideas when they're all like connected with links and stuff. Um, you can kind of just surf your own personal web, which is really, really neat. But it's kind of a it's kind of a work in progress. It's always a work in progress, basically. And uh, I think the more that I use it, the, the more useful it, it, it becomes. Yeah, there's like a satisfaction, as I've noticed, to like surfing your own kind of built up evergreen notes and thinkings and processes and actually using them as opposed to dumping something in like an Evernote. And then 10 years later, you're like, what the hell is this? Like you never even look at it after you type it. So yeah, yeah. it's like kind of cool and nice. So I'm glad you got me into it. Definitely did away with all of my old like note taking apps. And I have committed to this pretty hardcore. And I have like all these like shortcuts for like taking notes really quickly. Like I can do like a Hey Siri and just get like a drop some knowledge and it'll just like, you know, appear in my inbox or whatever. And it's been very, very cool. For sure. I love that. It's just so good. And I'm curious <laughs> then, like, the, because, like, I think a lot of composers or just sound people and games in general would look to you and say something like, oh, that's like such a cool lifestyle you have now. Like, this is so great. You're you have like fewer external obligations. You're able to work on things that interest you. There are some kind of business skills or money, at least, to kind of be able to get to the point where you can start to do that. So I'm just curious from your point of view what kinds of things do you advise people to think about when it comes to the money side of things? Because a lot of composers avoid it. A lot of sound people avoid it. They don't want to even talk about it or think about it, but it's so important. Yeah. So I'm curious what your thoughts are, how you kind of structure deals if you want to talk about that, how you advise people who are getting into this to think about money. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I can attest a lot of my freedom to obviously making some good choices, but also, you know, there's obviously a certain amount of luck involved, but uh I, I think I'm personally, I've done a pretty good job of like staying on top of my finances and not doing anything too rash or risky. You know, I, I went, I went many, many years without credit, without credit cards. I, I only have credit cards now, actually, in the last like year or so. I'm trying to just like, you know, get some cash back here and there. But um, I would say that w one of the best things I did early was to ask for rev share on projects. And still the large majority of my income comes from rev share on projects. And uh, if you want to try to get to a place where you don't really have to think about money as much, passive income is, is really the way to do that because you don't have to, I think Warren Buffett was like, you have to make money while you're sleeping if you're going to be doing well. So, I mean, it's true. Like if you're making some money while you're sleeping, I mean, then you don't have to worry about your hours and all this other kind of stuff. And it's really, really freeing. I pretty much always set out to get rev share. You know, you're not always able to get it. There's a lot of, re you know, situations and circumstances where it's either not going to happen because of corporate structures or logistically, maybe it doesn't make sense. It really depends on the project. And so the, the projects where I did tended to do the best were 
projects that were small, small team, and that uh, where they were, <laughs> they got a little bit lucky and there was a lot of success involved in the project. You know, that sort of combination, if you can, if that can happen a couple of times, then that definitely helps. But as far as like money management kind of stuff, I don't make a ton of ridiculous, crazy purchases. I don't buy like Lamborghinis or anything like that. And that definitely helps. I allow myself a couple of areas where I, you know, I might splooge a bit money wise, like food or something like that, but that's probably about it. And as I've gotten older, I've like definitely learned more about money and it's kind of made it, it's made it even easier, I would say to, to kind of stay on top of it, you know, just like how to invest and like how money works basically and all that kind of stuff. And it's obviously quite maligned for very thoughtful reasons, but it's also kind of it's the way it's the way things are and there's a lot of psychology involved in it it's really interesting if you have any savings like you, you want to have some save but you want to also like have your money working for you too so you want to put it in a low risk investment or something yeah thinking about it i think on a deeper level is really important for any audio person composer or artist in general because i think the most problematic thing i see with kind of the up-and-comers is they never want to talk about it they want to pretend it doesn't exist and hope that their clients will just pay them a lot of money without them ever like asking for it or asking for rev share or asking for yeah any fair rate or anything like that. Yeah, I've never been afraid to talk about it. So I think that's probably helped me. I think I learned some of this stuff uh, when I, I had a class in, at Berkeley, a jingle class. And the, the teacher was talking about how much money he made doing jingles and like negotiation tactics and all this kind of stuff. And it was crazy. Like he could make like, 10 grand in a, a couple hours or, or more, you know, if it was like a high profile client and they needed a jingle, you know, he just get his group together in the studio and bang it out. And uh, he talked about like, you know, negotiation tactics, like sometimes it's better to, to, to get a sense of what their budget is and like, you know, how much they're willing to spend before you suggest something, especially, I mean, there've been a couple of instances in my career where, um, you know, like a company reached out to me or something and I let them go first, basically. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll give you this much. And I'm like, wow, that is way more than I would have asked for. But OK, sounds good. I mean, I didn't tell them that it was way more. But every once in a while, you know, something like that can happen, which is nice. I would say you got to ask for what you want. And, and I wouldn't be afraid to ask for more than what you want, like a little bit more. So that there's like maybe they'll say it's too much and then they'll come down to that the, the amount that you actually were hoping for. So, yeah. So I always ask for like what would be the absolute most amazing scenario you know for me personally and for the project because i'm not trying to like hose the project like i'm not gonna ask for like 50 percent rev share something absolutely insane you know like no you know i would turn into like an evil person and and no one else would get paid but you know you want to find something that is fair and equitable for everybody where you also get paid well don't be afraid to ask for what you actually want yeah, I think that's huge. I think that's really huge. Uh, it's it's easy to not. I, I know so many people who will not ever. They'll just kind of sit back and be like, I'll do it for $20. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's hard in the beginning, too, because maybe there's a part of you that actually was like, I, I would do it for $20. But just because you would doesn't mean you should, you know, like, right. Ask for ask for something more, you know, ask for something more reasonable. Uh, even if you are so excited to do this that you would do it for like almost nothing. Don't do that to yourself. It's a skill in and of itself. You have to eat. And there are going to be days when you don't have any work, maybe. And, you know, yeah, that's why this is this is all good stuff to do. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. You don't want to get into the weeds. I don't think too much like with money stuff as far as like trying to like, you know, save a buck here, lose a buck there. Right. It's 
you can very quickly um, get to a point of diminishing returns, pun intended, uh, where you're just like, you're going absolutely mad because you're trying like, ah, you know? Yeah. So it's probably better to think about things in like percentages or something. Totally. Totally. So considering we just talked about finances, I want to step away from that just a little bit because I don't think you think about success this way. A lot of people say the word success and say it means financial, but there's so many more kind of avenues to it, right? So I'm curious, yeah. when you were first starting out, like you can define that as, you know, when you're in e-wrestling forms or when you went to Berkeley, whatever <laughs> starting point you want to pick, how did you kind of define success and how do you define it now and how has that changed over time? Ooh, that's a great question. Well, I would say when I was in e-wrestling forums, my definition of success was probably winning the world title. And uh, I did that many times. I kept track and I, I probably won like 18 or 19 championships of different kinds, world tag teams and hardcore belts. And I was probably in like seven or eight of those things at the same time at one point. So I was pretty into it. But <laughs> I, I guess my definition of success back then, you know, in the beginning doing music was... There was a financial component for sure, like financial stability, security, but it was also like working on really cool projects and having freedom and flexibility to like be, do the most me thing I could possibly do and like be very expressive as opposed to like, you know, oh, we want you to copy this, I don't know, this piece by Nobuo Uematsu, like note for note or something <laughs> like that, you know, that would not be my definition of success, even if it was like a really big company. So that kind of led me down a trajectory of being a novelty seeker. And that was kind of the central guiding wisdom of my career for a long time was like seeking out novelty. It was always seeking out novelty. It was trying to like, okay, here are these different like parameters for every project. Like, okay, is this something I want to do? Like, I mean, just because it's novel doesn't mean I want to do it. I mean, you could get asked to do like eight hours of, uh, I don't know, <laughs> hurdy-gurdy solos or something. I'd, it's not really, no, I think I'll pass on that one. But uh... <laughs> so, you know, is it something that I want to do? Is it novel? Do I like the people? That's a really big one. Like, do I see any red flags with working with these people? What are the travel requirements, if anything? Are there going to be a lot of expenses? Um, do I get to keep the rights? Do I get, am I going to get paid well? I actually at one point made a thing. I called it the um, the WeWe personality matrix. It is a spreadsheet. And uh, WeWe stands for, was it worth it? And so the idea was I had all these categories. And I would I came up with a system to like grade past projects and future projects and give it a score. And I was just kind of like messing around. I, I love spreadsheets. I'm like a total spreadsheet nerd. But also, I was just kind of messing around. And, and it was a useful exercise for me to kind of like think about the choices I was making. And like, was this really worth it? Like, I maybe maybe I got paid really well, but there were other parts of the experience that were not great, or vice versa. And so I kind of I gave everything like a grade, like, mm, freedom, fun, novelty, liquidity, which is just like, you know, am I, are they going to pay me in cash? <laughs> Equity, like rev share, density, like how dense is the work going to be? Duration, like how long is the project going to take? Travel time and interference, like how much external interferences are going to be? Like on movies, sometimes there are all these production companies and shadowy people you never meet who are like, oh, actually, um, I think uh, we should uh, change all of your instruments into the sound of quacking ducks or something at the last minute. And then you're like, no, I, did, I didn't really, no one, no one even consulted me about this choice. So, you know, and, and each one of these categories, I basically, I weight with a positive or a negative based on like what I feel my own personal like values are. So, I mean, at the time that I made this, it was like, it was mostly 
mostly about freedom, fun, novelty. And then, you know, money was like slightly like half of that, maybe as far as like, it's kind of hard to put numbers on this stuff. It doesn't really make sense, but it's an interesting exercise, at least. Nice. I like that. And kind of keeps it keeps it front of mind, right? It makes it so that you're not constantly reevaluating every single time. You at least have something in the back of your head that says like, okay, yeah. now that I know I hate projects that have high interference, I'm just going to say no to those. Yeah. It gives you something. Or projects that go on for too long. Like a project that takes 20 years and they want an update like every four months or something. Unless it's like a something that's already done and you have like a like an ongoing commitment to like that's different but if it's like it's in development for 20 years or something like that's that might be hard right especially if you're seeking out novelty (laughs) that's the opposite (laughs) of that in every way shape yeah yeah (laughs) so to wrap up uh just let everybody know where people can find you email addresses or websites or newsletters anything like that throw it all out there yeah so my website is disasterpeace.com and uh, you can contact me through there if you if you want to. And also I have a mailing list and that's kind of the primary way that I um, let people know what I'm doing these days. And do they could just go to your website to sign up for that, I assume. You got it. Awesome. Beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Rich. This My was pleasure. great. Yeah, it's fun to talk about some different stuff. <laughs> That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound B-I-Z pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time.